0: Visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. We've been discussing Do Hard Things. It's coming from a book of the same title written by two teenagers, and they challenge the teens around them. They challenge you guys through the book to take on five hard practices in your life, None of them are easy. Every one of them are outside of what you find to be comfortable. But they are practices that if you will apply them, you will see change happen around you. You will see what God can do through your life. And they each equate to the finger on the hand. Does anyone remember what the ring finger represents? Thank you. Ring finger, get out of your comfort zone. How about the longest finger, your middle finger? Go beyond what's expected. Smallest finger, pinky finger. Be diligent in the small things. Fantastic. What about the thumb? Collaborate. Work together. That's right. And the pointer finger. Point to truth and stand for something. That's right. If you are going to apply these principles in your life, it's going to be amazing as you see how God works through you. But I guarantee you that you will face obstacles. If you genuinely try to get out of your comfort zone to go beyond what's expected of you to collaborate, to apply these five things, you're going to meet resistance, you're going to meet pushback, and I'm telling you, if you decide to stand for Jesus, you will meet obstacles. You're going to have obstacles in anything you try to do in life. How much more, if you direct your life and turn to go against what is evil, what is dark, what is popular, how much more will you meet resistance? You're going to have a target on your back. When the enemy sees an effective Christian, a Christian that is bearing fruit, he's coming after you. So I want to talk tonight about how to deal with obstacles. I love this as a quote, and I'll tell you who it's from at the end. So we went to Atari and said, Does anyone remember Atari? Did anyone? Have an older brother or father that played Atari? Anybody? So we went to Atari and said, hey, we've got this amazing thing. We even built it with some of your parts. And what do you think about funding us? Or we'll just give it to you if you want it and just pay our salary and we'll come work for you. And Atari said no. So then we went to Hewlett-Packard and they said, hey, we don't need you. You haven't even gotten through college yet. That quote is from Apple computer founder Steve Jobs talking about him and Steve Wozniak's personal computer. They met resistance. Someone told them, you're not going to be able to pull this off. Actually, two someones told them, you're not going to be able to pull this off. You're not going to be able to do it. They encountered opposition. But what if we apply this to the mission and commission of Christ? I love the example of Jacob Noel in our church. Here is someone that as a teenager went on missions trips and found a passion for going overseas, to being with to people who speak a different language, different culture, and witnessing to them and sharing the gospel with them. Except, as a guy who wants to be able to go to any country that God sends him, he would have closed doors at any country that is resistant to religious organizations or missionaries. So Jacob went back to school to become a doctor. Doctors are allowed in every country. That 's Jacob Noel. he found a passion and a calling, and when there was obstacles when there's resistance, he knuckled down and kept going matthew 28 19 through twenty is the mission statement of every Jesus follower. Jesus has gathered his disciples, he is about to leave he 's going to do his launch off the top of the mountain and ascend back to heaven, and he gives them his last words, and he says, "Go and make." Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The greatest. No, no. The only mission that a Jesus follower has in their life is to teach people about Jesus, to share the gospel. We are dead in our sins, there was hope through Jesus and, and his cross and his resurrection, and you can have that hope too. There is a life everlasting. Now the greatest purpose on earth is going to meet the greatest opposition on earth, the greatest pushback. It's going to make the biggest splashes. And we're going to meet obstacles that are bigger than we are. We're going to meet giant obstacles. Things that are daunting that we within our own power are not going to be able to overcome. Whenever you decide to knuckle down and follow Jesus, when you decide to make a difference in the world around you, to be a world changer, to do something hard, you're going to meet obstacles bigger than yourself. But it will not be the first time God's people have encountered giants. And I'm so excited about this part. Moses has been called by God to lead his people, the Israelites, out of slavery, out of Egypt. And God has promised them that he's going to give them this land, this special land set aside for them. And anyone living in the land, he's going to drive out so that they can have it. Now, as you read into the scriptures, you find out that the people living in the land are awful, terrible, evil people. And God wiping them out for the Israelites is actually God's righteous judgment against them. So Moses takes them to Sinai. God speaks to them. They they receive the law for about a year, and then they travel. Finally, they're going to get the land, and they get to the other side of what's called the Jordan River. Here we are. We're on the east side, and over there on the other side of the river, there it is. It's waiting for us. All we have to do is cross over and go. This is a monumental moment in history. But Moses sends 12 spies. Hey, go check it out. See what's over there. See who the people are that we're going to have to fight. Check out. See if the land is healthy, if it's good, if it's rich. And he sent out a spy from every one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Two of them, most notably, are Joshua and Caleb. They go around. They go check it out. And they come back, the 12 of them, and they have very different reports. Joshua and Caleb are going, man, the land is amazing. And God is with us. What can stop us? Let's go. Let's get over the river. But the other 10 were full of fear. And it says that they convinced the people to rebel against God and against Moses. They convinced the people to be more afraid of what's on the other side than to have the courage to go. And it said this, Numbers thirteen twenty two 22. Says, talking about the spies, they went to the Negev and came to Hebron. I want you to grab the word Hebron and hang on to that. That's going to become key in a minute. The descendants of Anak were there. Grab Anak, hang on to that. He's going to become important. So talking about the spies, we came to the land which you sent us, which flows with milk and honey. So I guess there's cows and bees. And there is its fruit. And they add like these huge clusters of grapes. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and are very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Who are they? We'll find out. But Caleb quieted the people. So people are getting rowdy. They're all full of fear. Caleb quiets the people before Moses and says, Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out, it is a land that devours its inhabitants." And all the people that we saw are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. You ever come up against an obstacle? And you have a voice in your head giving you a bad report? You can't pull it off. You'll never get finished in time. You don't have what it takes. You have voices around you, maybe outside your head, People going, you can't pull this off. You're too young. You don't have what it takes. You have those kind of voices? Nod me. Are you with me? You have voices like that all the time? This is too big for you. This is too big of a giant for you. So I want to, first of all, very briefly do a history of giants in the Bible. And it goes all the way back, before the flood, to Genesis chapter 6. And we find these characters, there's only two verses, They just sort of pop in. They're called the Nephilim, and they're known as giants, men of renown, heroes of ancient times. And there's like this weird gray background of where they come from, and people have come up with all sorts of weird theories. But what's important is that we have this culture, this tribe that is known for their giantism. And whenever God wiped out everything, that genetic trait, Somehow, or through Noah and his sons, still pops up into a group of people. And those group of people you can find in Genesis 15 and 16. You find a people called Rephaim. Fast forward, Genesis 6. Now we're jumping to Abraham. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you all of this land. And I'm going to displace. You're going to conquer. Your family, your descendants are going to conquer all the inhabitants. Here's a list of people that you're going to conquer, and he throws in this word Rephaim. And Rephaim is just the word for giants. It was a group, a collection, a tribe, a nation of people that were so known for their size that they just got titled after their stature. They were giants. They're Rephaim. were in the land. So you fast forward back up to where we are. So we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you have Joseph, He leads the people into Egypt, where they, they flourish for a while, then Egypt puts them into slavery, then Moses. Here we are on the other side of the river. And so the people rebel against Moses and against God saying, Joshua and Caleb's report, don't ignore them because the people are too scary because there are giants in the land, the Rephaim. Are we connected here? Same people as as who God promised Abraham his descendants would defeat. Descendants from the Nephilim back in Genesis 6. So the people rebel. And God says, fine, your punishment is you get exactly what you want. You don't want to go into the land? Go back out into the desert. So they wander in the desert for 40 years until the first generation, the generation that saw God's miracles and came out of Egypt, had died off. And their sons and daughters, God brings them full circle back around to the east side of the River Jordan, and he gives them a second chance. Forty years later. And the only people remaining alive are Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. The three that had faith, that were willing to go even though there were giants in the land. So Moses is going to die. He's like 120 years old or something like that. And Joshua, one of the spies, is now taking the group of people, and he is going to be the one to lead them over the river. And God says, come, Joshua, I'm leading you in. You're going to wipe out everybody, and you're going to have this this victory. Before Moses dies, he gives his last words, his last speeches, and that is the book of Deuteronomy. If you read the book of Deuteronomy, you're reading Moses' last words before he kicks off. Deuteronomy 2 and 3 have a very interesting thing that happens. God is leading them all around the east side of the river Jordan. You follow me so far? God tells Moses, as you're wandering around over here for 40 years, don't mess with this group of people or this group of people. They're the descendants of Lot and the descendants of Esau. Because I brought those people into this side of the river, and I gave them the land. And by the way, whenever Esau's descendants and Lot's descendants came in over here, there were giants over here too, and I allowed them to defeat them. So Moses, tell the people, if I can defeat giants on this side of the river for people who are not my chosen ones, how much more when they cross the River Jordan am I going to fight on your behalf for my people who I chose, who I put my name on? Deuteronomy chapter 9 talks about the spies bringing back that report, and it had become a commonly spoken phrase. You know how we have like idioms and we have common spoken phrases in the English language? In their language, they would have a phrase, and it would go like this, Who can stand before the sons of Anak? So for 40 years, they had had this phrase floating around. Who can stand against them? Who can stand against the giants? Who can stand against the Rephaim, the sons of Anak? And so here they are on the other side, and God is saying, I've got you. Hold on to me, and I will take you to victory. God puts them to the test. Okay. Before we go over there and fight those giants, Moses, I'm going to show you that I'll be faithful with giants on this side of the river. And God sends them up against a king named Og. He sounds like a character from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Og. And he was the king of Bashan, and Bashan was known as, quote, unquote, the land of giants, Rephaim. So before they even cross the river, they're going to get a little experience fighting giants. The king of Og had a bed that they kept. It was made out of iron, and they kept it as, like, a souvenir. Now, they didn't have, like, you know, beds that are, like, one size fits most. They would Your bed would be generally your size. And they kept the bed because they wanted to show how big the king of Og was. Now, for an example, the NBA player Yao Ming is seven foot six. Ta-da! I need help. Someone come here and show me what 7'6 looks like from this stage. Thank you, Elijah. You're close by. Let me see. 7'1, um, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. There you go. That's seven foot six. He's a tall guy, right? This is a tall, skinny NBA player. Yeah. The king of Og, they found his bed, and his bed was 13 and a half feet tall. Slow down, slow down, 11, keep going, a little bit more, 12, 13, boom. And his bed was six feet wide. And because of his size and his weight, they had to make it out of iron to hold up. This was a big dude! Yao Ming is half the size of King Og. And so God sends his people that he's preparing to go into Israel against the land of giants with King Og, and they have victory. They win. And God is going, See, I got you. If you'll trust me, if you'll go up against the the giants, the people that you feel so small against. Remember, you feel like a grasshopper? I would feel like a grasshopper next to King Og. I will... I will carry you all the way, and I will fight for you. And so they cross the river, and lo and behold, Joshua wins again and again and again and again. And I want to read a little snippet from Joshua 11. Joshua eleven twenty one 21 through 22. Joshua came at that time and cut off who? The Anakim, the sons of Anak, those big guys, from the hill country, from Hebron. Now Hebron was founded by Anak's father, who is known as the biggest of all the giants, from Debir and Anab and from all the hill country of Judah and from all the hill country of Israel. Pay attention. Joshua devoted them to destruction. means he wiped them out entirely with their cities, burned their cities to the ground. There was none of the Anakim, those giants, left in the land of the people of Israel. Only, so there were some left, only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod, the three Philistine cities. Are the places that the remaining Anakim retreated to. So they're destroyed completely under Joshua, except those who retreated there. And it was under Joshua's leadership, but Joshua wasn't personally the one that did it. In fact, when they get on the other side of the river, it was Caleb, who is 85 years old, who comes to Joshua and says, God promised my family this area of land, the land where Hebron is one of the big cities. Can I go and take it now? And Joshua's like, Peace to you, go and an 85-year-old man with his family charges up a hill with a sword and slays all of the giants, except for the ones that retreated to those three Philistine cities. Now, those three Philistine cities, if you're ready for just a little bit more material, they got out of Caleb's land, and they ran to the land of the tribe of Judah. So Judah is supposed to deal with these cities. Judah goes to war against these cities, against all the Philistine cities. And two things happened. One, the cities that he, that he won, he only captured instead of destroying, disobeying God. And then the other cities, he backed off from, afraid of them, because they had big iron chariots. And the cities that he defeated and captured, they were Ashkelon, Gaza, and Ekron. Notice, the two Philistine cities of Ashdod and Gath are left untouched. It will be through the rest of the book of Joshua, through Judges, and the beginning of and 1 Samuel, those Philistine cities are going to be a constant threat and a pain in the neck to Israel. They're going to bring false gods into Israel's worship. They're going to start raiding them and, and bringing battles against them. And everyone who is in charge of Israel is going to have to deal with these Philistines. They did not wipe out. So whenever Saul became king, it was his responsibility to deal with these Philistines. And we have multiple battles between Saul and the Philistines, but the most important battle that you'll remember happens in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 17, 3-4. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Israel. Gath. It would seem that Goliath is an ancestor of those Philistines they didn't wipe out, who is an ancestor of the Anakim, who is an ancestor of the Nephilim. This is Goliath's heritage. And here he stands against David. Now, you know the story. Once again, we have someone who is inadequate, small, going up against someone who is huge and scary and bigger than him. And David, what? He defeats him with a rock to the forehead, and he cuts off his head with his own sword. What a beast. a boy, David. And then we get this neat story in 2 Samuel 21, where four times Israel goes to battle against Philistines, and four times a notable giant was defeated. And at the very end of Samuel 21, it says this, these four were descended from the giant in Gath. They were Goliath's four sons. Why do you think David picked up five smooth stones? Because his sons might come to avenge him. And this, in 2 Samuel 21, is the last sighting that you will find of giants anywhere in the Bible. So God kept his promise through David and his mighty men that he made 1000 years ago to Abraham that they would inherit this land and God would wipe out the giants if you're going to pursue a purpose greater than yourself you're going to encounter obstacles far bigger than yourself they're going to be daunting they're going to be ins- and you're going to feel insufficient to stand against them they may be a lack of resources it may be your own failures, your own inadequacies. It might be people coming against you. It might be people that are on your team, that are, that are working against you, that are, aren't honest. You might just run out of money. You may have obstacles that are constantly bigger than you are. And every obstacle you deal with is going to bring with it fear, anxiety, feelings of failure, discouragement, stress, depression, Every obstacle we come against is going to risk those emotions. How do we face obstacles? How do we face giants in our life? Maybe giants that God has already committed to defeating. Number one, we remember this is part of doing something bigger than yourself. You accept it. Obstacles are coming. You brace yourself. I'm going to have pushback. Someone is not going to like what I'm doing. I am going to struggle putting together a team. I'm going to have a hard time finally talking to my mom. I'm going to have a struggle finally talking to my friend. Everything that you do, anything that you try to do that is towards what is righteous, against what is darkness, you will have struggles. The second thing, and I'm going to go over this quickly, but I just want to leave a little seed in your head. The second thing is you need to be willing to sacrifice. My missions teacher said it all the time. There is no, listen right now, this is the beauty of sacrifice. There is no country that you can't get into if you're willing to not come back. If you're settled to live a one-way trip for Jesus, there is very little that you can't accomplish. If you're willing to risk your reputation, if you're willing to risk your dreams for the purpose of serving God, there's very little that you will not be able to do. Remember, the only boundaries that the Holy Spirit has are the ones that you set when you play it safe. Number three, when you come against obstacles, this is so profoundly simple, just keep being faithful. Keep trying. Keep waking up in the morning. Keep showing up. You're going to have to have a perspective change where we take our focus off of circumstances, our focus is off the mission, our focus is off the giants and the obstacles, and we get our focus to where it's supposed to be on Jesus. God has never called us. He didn't tell you, you have to do the mission. He told you, be faithful, and I will win the day. I will defeat the giants. I will overcome obstacles. Pursuing Him isn't just our greatest priority. Pursuing Him is our only priority. Keep showing up. Even if you feel discouraged, keep being faithful. There's a a parable about a man that wanted to do something great for God. And he lived in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere. And God shows up in this cabin and says, fine, you want to do something great for me? I've got a boulder right outside your cabin and I want you to push on it. Just keep pushing. And so faithfully, day after day after day, this man who struggled with sickliness, who struggled with weakness, who was out here in the mountain air because he struggled with breathing, would go out every day pushing against this rock and pushing and pushing and pushing, day in and day out. And he would come home tired and exhausted. And one day he went out and he measured between his cabin and the rock and he realized he hadn't moved it an inch yet. They became discouraged, and so the devil comes and talks to the man in this parable and says, you should quit. You're having no success. You're not getting anywhere. What's the point? Did God really say this to you? Would he really put you on a mission you can't do? And so the man turned to God, why am I doing this, Lord? Why Why am I breaking my back every single day? And the Lord faithfully responded and said, come here a minute. Look at yourself. You're touched by the sun now. Your muscles have gotten stronger, insinuated. You're breathing better. You've come against this thing. It was never your assignment to move it. It was your assignment to push. Now let me move the boulder for you. God has never told you to stop world hunger. God has never told you to save your friend. He's only ever asked you to be faithful, to show up, to just keep pushing and allow Him to do the work. It is not you that can ever save. It is the Holy Spirit that saves. We cannot win the world. That's the Holy Spirit's job. God is not going to put you on a mission that you won't grow in, and He's not going to put you on a mission that He doesn't intend to handle Himself. But He will put you on mission. I love the story of Gideon. I don't have time because I've already put in so much time into this giant's thing. But he, he picks out Gideon, and Gideon is a self-professed, smallest guy in his family, smallest family in the nation. And God sends Gideon out to go against the Midianites, a group of terrorists that were so many, they looked like locusts across a field. And when Gideon gathers the people of Israel to go fight, he shows up with 32,000 men. That's daunting, that's threatening. Yeah, 32,000, let's go. And God goes, hold on. Mm-mm. <laughs> I see what you're doing, but... Uh, that, nah. And so God puts Gideon's men through a, a series of tests until he narrows 32,000 down to 300. This is the original 300 story. And he sends Gideon and his 300 men against the Midianites. And they have victory. And whenever someone asks why, it's very plain. And Gideon responds, so that you guys can't say that you won the day. God gets all the glory. God is not going to put you on a mission that you will not grow in, and he will not put you on a mission that he doesn't plan to handle himself. Why? So he gets the glory. He's going to pick inadequate people. He's going to pick people that don't have the right tools, that do struggle. Think about Moses. God can't even speak. And God's like, I want you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to speak to Israel on my behalf. But, but, But yes, Moses, just keep pushing. Are you facing an obstacle? Will you face an obstacle? Yes. Remember to expect it. It's coming. Be willing to sacrifice. Keep being faithful. And the fourth one, the most important one, you could scrap the first three if you'll remember this one. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Get your eyes off the giants and look to him. There's a story in 2 Kings about a man named Elisha And his city is surrounded by the bad guys. Surrounded. They're hopeless. There's no way out. There's no way to get food or water in. They're surrounded. And Elisha's servant comes to me and goes, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha says, whoa, 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 slow down. Direct quote, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prays that his eyes will be opened. He looks out and he sees that surrounding the surrounding army are God's army. And they're in chariots of fire from heaven. We have to get our eyes off of the obstacles here and put our eyes on that our God is bigger, our God is greater. We have to get our eyes off of the I can'ts and stop listening to the you can'ts and start looking up. Say with me right now. Our relationship with our Heavenly Father is not just your first priority, it is your only priority. Believe it or not, your day may look very similar to what it would have looked like anyway, but your priority now becomes, Lord, how can I give you glory today? How can I know you more today? How can I see your face more today? Take me, Lord, and use me in any way that you want. I just, I love you. And I want to serve you. And I want to know you more. Whenever you're beaten up or discouraged, tired, hopeless, it's time that we get our eyes off the problems and we just recommit to knowing him more. How can Jesus say my yoke is easy? My burden is light. Come to me and I'll give you rest. A yoke, a yoke is a the thing they put on an ox so that the ox can pull a plow. And Jesus still says, I've got a yoke, but it's easy. It's light. Because your purpose is actually very simple. Your purpose is not to win the world. That's your mission. Your purpose is to pursue Christ and pursue him alone. It's so easy. Jesus is like, stop, stop stressing so much. Stop working so hard for stuff, for people. Stop thinking that, that you have to do it all. My yoke is easy. You just show up. And I'll do the plowing. What I expect from you is small. I love how the Westminster Shorter Catechism says our purpose. And it is simply this. The chief end of man, the chief goal, the chief purpose of man is to, so simple, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Just like with Israel and the giants, all we're called to do is be faithful, and it's His job to win the battles. About the giants, it was once said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? And I'd like to respond to that with how God spoke to Joshua. Joshua 1, nine, who can stand against the sons of Anak? Be strong, Joshua, and courageous. Don't be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? Because Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. Yes, the giants are bigger and stronger and they seem to have more support. You're going to go against people and organizations that seem bigger and stronger and have more support. But what did Jesus say? I have overcome the world. Romans 8.31, if our God is for us, who can be against us? We take courage because our God is greater. Our God is faithful. Write this down. Our God is greater. Our God is faithful. Our God is with us. Our Father is with us in the fight. He's with us against the obstacles. He's with us whenever we're tired, when we're hurt, when we're beaten. In the 92 Olympics, there was a man who was destined for the gold medal. His name was Derek Redmond. He was the fastest. He had the fastest time in his heat. Everyone expected him to win. He was running the four hundred meters, and at two hundred and fifty meters, he pulled a hamstring, and he crumbled down onto the track. He said in his own words that it, it he heard a loud pop and it felt like he was shot from the from the crowd, and he goes down into the middle of the track. And as they're bringing the stretcher out to him, he has to make a decision that it's no longer about winning, it's just about finishing. And so Derek hops up onto his feet and he hobbles, hopping on one foot towards the finish line. And something incredible happens. Suddenly a man comes breaking out of the crowd onto the track and security starts blocking him to try to block him from coming out of the stands. And the man starts shouting, that's my son. That's my son. I'm his father. And he pushes past the security and he gets underneath Derek and the two of them walk towards the finish line together. And he whispers over into Derek's ear, son, we will finish this together. And 65,000 people jumped to their feet and shouted with applause as Derek crossed the finish line on the arm of his father. That's my son. I'm his father. I've got to ask you today, Elevate. Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you have someone in heaven right now who is shouting about you to the world around you, shouting to your obstacles, that's my kid. I'm their father. And I will be under their arm all the way through the obstacles to the finish line. Because if you don't have that, I challenge you, you need to know him. You need to go home and get on your face before God and call out to Him. Tell Him, I'm a sinner. I've been doing life my own way and it hasn't been working. I've been swallowed in my own sin and darkness. Lord, save me. I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. I believe that He died on a cross and rose again from my sin. You want that kind of support in your life. You want someone who sees you as your daughter and as a son who is coming out of the stands for you. Be strong and be courageous, for Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. And Jesus echoed this with his very last words. Go and make disciples, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Elevate you will meet giants but your Father is with you. Your job is simply show up and pursue Him. Quick recap. When we choose to do something hard, we will face obstacles bigger than us. God's people are no strangers to giants. They've been taking on giants all the way through history. Number three. In taking on obstacles, remember, This is expected. Be willing to sacrifice. Be faithful. Turn your eyes to Jesus. God sends his people against obstacles bigger than them to show his glory. We can take courage for the very profound fact that our Father is with us. So here's your challenge, Elevate. And it's a hard challenge. I challenge you to take one day in the next seven days. Go to bed with this on your mind. Take one day, and I dare you to spend that whole day from when you wake up to when you lay down completely belonging to the Lord, completely with your focus on Him, living for Him and not yourself for one day. Like, you have, how many days do you have in your life? Give Him one. Try it. Wake up in the morning with Hallelujah on your lips. And spend your whole day in prayer and thankfulness looking around to see who God is talking to you about. Spend your whole day. Lord, how can I give you glory in how I study? How can I? You know what? A.W. Tozer said that whenever he studied through college, he would sit down in his college assignments. He would open Shakespeare and he would pray through Shakespeare. God, what's this author trying to say? What am I supposed to learn from this? What can I learn about you in this? Take every aspect of your day and say, Lord, this is yours. How can I follow you in it today? How can you show up to me in this today? How can I love you and be on mission today? I dare you. One day in the next seven. It would be best if you chose tomorrow because this is still fresh in your mind. One day. Your life's not going to look a whole lot different except you will be on mission. You'll be of purpose and you're going to walk with the very presence of God throughout that day. Try it. Heavenly Father, you have been defeating giants all through the history of your people. You promised Abraham you would defeat giants, and you fulfilled your promise. And then you stood on a mountaintop and promised that you would be with us wherever we go, even to the end of the age. Lord, as this is a youth group that is Hungry to do something greater than themselves. I pray that you will empower them, convict them, and motivate them. When they meet obstacles and trials and challenges, Holy Father, remind them that you are near and you are enough. Lord, I pray that you start giving your students in here vision even if it's not an overseas trip, even if it's not some enormous thing, Lord, that you start giving them vision of how they can be world changers in their daily life. They can change someone's world in their day. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us, that you are Emmanuel, that you go before us, that you are our rear guard, and that you stand at our right hand. Who is like you? That you would turn your attention to us. We love you, Holy Father, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.